The concern is, let's say I incurred a medical expense in 2019, and I just keep keep that banked, and I don't want to reimburse myself from my HSA. Fast forward down the line, 10 years from now, and I'm audited by the IRS when I finally do take the money out, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to have to prove that I didn't pull money out of my account back in 2019. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest today is a certified tax professional specializing in small businesses, real estate investments, and retirement accounts. He's an avid traveler who would probably be a travel agent if he didn't love taxes so darn much. Today, we're going to talk to him about health savings accounts and all the ways that you can use them to help you achieve financial freedom. Stephen Hamilton, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Neil, thanks for having me. I'm always yep. happy to answer a few questions. Uh, that's great. And I, I always enjoy talking to you. And um, I, I would say we, we could just talk about travel hacking, but uh, today we're, we're going to focus on uh, health savings accounts. So I much more fun. Do that. I can definitely okay. do that. All right. So uh, to start, can you just give us a quick uh, background of who you are and what your experience is in, uh, in, in the world of taxes? I, I love taxes. I've been in tax for over 13 years. Sleep and breathe them. Um, I like tax laws so much that I married somebody who's also in the business. So it, it's just a family thing at this point. We enjoy it. We the IRS. Um, so now it returns to tax planning, but I also spend a lot of time actually representing clients in front of the IRS. So when I talk over... Not from a, well, hypothetically, I read this in a book. It's going to be primarily from real life practice, procedure, and experience. So gotcha. I love it. It's fun. Gotcha. Um, and, and when we say that you love taxes, you, you like not paying taxes. That's exactly and Helping it. your clients exactly is not paying I, taxes. I like helping people to legally avoid paying taxes. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Tax law is this unique creature that's somewhere between, there's enough gray area for us to figure out the different strategies between different items. So it's not black and white. There's a, it depends to almost every question. So someone will ask me a quick question on the street and I'll say, well, actually it depends. There's a lot of other items that I need to know about your situation. Um, client of mine just told me, hey, I, I donated to charity, so I'm excited I can write it off. It should save me, you know, 150 something dollars. I said, no, in your situation, that's not going to change anything because <laughs> I yeah. didn't itemize. So it, it, it depends on facts and circumstances. Gotcha. Almost okay. Do we, before we start getting into the nitty gritty, do we need to have any sort of a disclaimer? Uh, yes. Here? No? I will always give a disclaimer. Um, tax law is not black and white. For every situation, it's entirely different. You can't compare yours with a brother, sister, cousin, coworker, et cetera. They don't have the same number of kids or living situation, mortgage payment, et cetera, that you might have. So everything can be entirely different from one person to another. Not only that, but there's also the fact of how much withholdings do you have? 
you, know, you might work the same job, same title, same salary as a coworker, but they choose to have a little less withheld, or you choose to have a little less withheld. So how come Joe keeps getting $5,000 back and I owe every year? Well, that might just be a personal choice for what you have withheld. And we can make modifications to change that. Gotcha. Okay, let's talk about health savings accounts. Um, can you give us for for somebody who maybe has never heard of a health savings account a quick overview of what it is? Yeah, I can definitely do that. A health savings account is similar to a flex spending, if anybody's familiar with them. Uh, the big difference is it's also in a way kind of like an IRA where you can put away pre-tax money for uses for medical expenses primarily. There's some additional items we'll get into a little after when we start talking about strategy, but that's just kind of the basic overview. It's a vehicle to put money away so it's pre-tax for healthcare. Gotcha. Um, and it, it can, can it be done pre-tax or post-tax or is it um, pretty much just all pre-tax? Well, it ends up being pre-tax. So whether I contribute through my employer or if I contribute and catch it up at the end of the year by the due date of the tax return, we would then get a deduction for that amount that we contributed. So it ends up being pre-tax money. Okay. And it allows you to um, pull those, you were able to invest those funds, um, but then also uh, as it builds up, you're able to uh, use it to pay for qualified medical Medical expenses. expenses. Correct. Or in the event that you're terminated from your employer, you can actually also use it to pay COBRA premiums. Okay. That's a common little known fact. Um, The flexibility of the HSA is enormous. I can use it to pay for almost anything medical related, um, except for certain cosmetic surgeries, et cetera. But the key is that pre-tax nature of it. So I get to deduct that from my income, but then when I use it for medical, it's not included in my income at that point. So that's where it meets similar to that flex spending arrangement we were talking about before. Uh, It's just a nice, lovely tool that allows us to continue and and enjoy some some tax savings. Um, how much are you allowed to contribute each year? Well, I'm going to say it depends. Um, <laughs> it, it depends on your situation. If you only have self-only coverage uh, for 2019, that limitation, I say that, say the 2019 numbers first here because you have until the due date of your tax return. So April 15th in order to make those contributions. So for 2019, it is $3,500. Um, that's going to go up for 2020 to 3550 And then family coverage for 2019 is $7,000 of pre-tax money. And the 2020 limit is $7,100. If you're over the age of 55, you can put in an additional $1,000. If you're over the age of 55. That is correct. Gotcha. Now, again, for, you know, our tax neophyte friends here, um, you know, what you're doing by contributing to one of these accounts pre-tax is you're lowering, lowering your taxable income, correct? That is correct. All right. So if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year and you contribute $7,000 for your family, the government looks at it as listed on your tax return is going to be 93,000. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Um, so uh, I already mentioned this, but you are allowed to invest. Yes. The H- your HSA funds. Can you invest them anywhere? Um, pretty close to anywhere, actually. Um, there's certain restrictions, um, certain precious metals and things that we cannot invest them into. Um, probably the most important fact about it is the ability to 
a traditional HSA that you open up with your employer, you're probably going to be locked into a local bank, an HSA bank or something similar. Um, Chase offers them, your local credit union offers them. Um, so they're more than likely not going to let you self-direct it. Um, but there are certain organizations and custodians that allow you to use that HSA and basically write a check for a property if you want or write a check for um, certain stocks. So you have the ability to flexibly invest it. Um, I've noticed most brokers have a limitation of somewhere between about $2,500 and, and 5000 for whether or not you can actually invest it into a brokerage account. Okay. Um, so mo most people that I know tend to invest it in like a, an index fund. Correct. Um, and then they may be, there may be some HSA funds that require you to maintain a certain level of liquidity. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So like a thousand dollars in a, in, just to a cover whatever you might use your HSA account for on, on a daily or monthly basis. Okay. Um, and before we dig more into that, what, um, what is considered a qualified, typically considered a qual qualified medical expense? Qualified medical expenses. Um, that's actually for those who, who love to do research. Uh, if I recall, that's covered in section 213D. Um, those expenses specifically are going to be your prescriptions, your co-pays, um, your standard flexible spending items if you're used to that. But it can cover. Oh, the list is huge. Um, your copays, your dental expenses, chiropractor visits. Um, in some cases, contact lenses, eyeglasses, um, therapy appointments, pediatricians, regular physician okay. visits. Um, there's right. even certain schooling costs for you know those with certain handicaps. So it, the list is is. I okay. could go on for hours, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> is there a resource that someone could go to that would, that would point them to, uh, you know, what, what a list, an exhaustive list of what those are? Um, there is the IRS does have a detailed list in publication 13 or sorry, publication 17. Um, however, I, I don't feel like that list is exactly specific enough. Um, it doesn't go into certain detail. Um, I don't know if you have the ability to add any links or anything to you do put to, it in the show notes. Then I'll send over something for you that way you okay. can attach it. Also, you know, uh, as Stephen here will often say, is talk to your tax professional. Yes. <laughs> if you have please. a question. Um, one fun thing that I think we should also mention is the applicability of being able to open up an HSA. You can't just say, you know what, I feel like opening up an HSA. Um, there's actually deductible limits before you can open up an account. So you would have to have a minimal deductible for self-only coverage of about $1,400. And then for, so it has to be that high deductible health plan. For a family, that deduct, minimum deductible is $2,800. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it definitely, when you're paying for medical expenses, it definitely can be. Um, and even so, even if your deductible is over that, your plan still may not allow it. So you definitely have to check your plan rules. Okay. And, and that was the next question, because I've run up against this where, you know, we are deductibles way above the limit. Um, but then when I ta started talking to them about, okay, well, I'd like to open it up an HSA, they said, well, your plan's not a, your plan's not HSA compatible. Correct. Um, which, some, which is something you really need to, to look out for. You definitely need to. You definitely need to. 
Um, what's the, um, what's the verification? Pro I mean, is there a verification process when you go, Hey, I want to open an H Hey, Vanguard, I want to op open an HSA. Um, is there a form? Is it, you know, what's the verification process? You're primarily going to self-certify that you do have a high deductible health plan. And then fast forward when you file your tax returns, you're going to be stating again that you have a high deductible health plan and, and how many months you are covered by it. Okay. Um, and the, you know, the IRS, there's not some sort of form that you're going to get from your health insurance that says, it's a high yes, I'm plan. no, you're not going to get that. And it's really just a matter of, and I'm not telling, I'm not saying to, to cheat on this at all. Um, but there's not going to be, it's not going to be something that really comes up unless you get audited. That's correct. That's okay. correct. And however, what I am going to point out is the IRS does a lot of computer generated audits. So there's okay. some, does check for various items. Okay. It knows it would if, flag. They know if employer, certain employers offer them or not. So. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so what, let's talk about some of the various ways that you have seen people invest with their HSA. And let's, uh, I want to separate the two because I know there's, there's a very traditional uh, HSA, which is, you know, you, you've got a regular custodian. They're probably only going to let you invest in um, very traditional things. And then there's probably what a self-directed HSA, correct? That is correct. So your standard okay. HSA that you open up at a regular bank you are not going to necessarily be able to self-direct it in anything other than those target date funds, as we were talking about. Um, where you're really going to see your movement is by moving it over, moving existing plan funds over into a custodian. Um, for example, I want to say N-Trust allows them, American IRA, there's a whole, there's a whole list of them. It's, it's pretty easy to actually find. And the ability is is pretty flexible from there for what you can invest it into. Gotcha. Um, you know, so so someone's looking at you know they can invest in you know perhaps Vanguard Index five hundred fund, VTAX, yep. you know total lit market fund, whatever you want to do uh, as far as a traditional sort of mutual fund and stocks. Correct. That's correct. Gotcha. And then they'll have, like we said, like we mentioned, you'll have uh, a liquidity side. You'll have like a, a checking account or a, a market. Uh, gotcha. All right. Um, so is it possible to invest in real estate with an HSA? Without a doubt. Okay. Without a doubt. How, would, how would one go about setting up a, um, an HSA that allows them to invest in real estate? Well, step one is picking a, a custodian. That's really okay. the biggest thing. Finding that custodian that you do want to work with who has reasonable rates will allow you to move your money over pretty easily. Um, once you find that custodian, it's no different than rolling over an IRA or moving a 401k from one employer to another. You're going to fund it and then they're going to tell you a list of what you can and can't do and what their fees are for writing checks and different things like that. You can even open up an LLC that's owned by your HSA. Okay. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. What, what, what does that look like? Um, what that looks like is you can have your HSA invest into an LLC that you would create that would be owned 100% by the HSA. You can be listed as a manager. That would allow you to open up your own direct checking account as a business for that HSA. You could then use that to have essentially checkbook control and write a check for any investment that you want. 
as long as it's titled okay. to the HSA itself or the LLC. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now I have, you know, I, I utilize a solo 401k that allows me to have uh, checkbook control. Um, and it, it, it's, um, it really just has to do with the custodian that I go with Correct. that they basically just say, yep, just do whatever you want. We're not, you know, I pay a, a, a small fee each year, but it's really negligible, but I don't have to pay for, um, I'm not having to pay for them to issue checks. I'm not having to wait for them say, Hey, mother, may I, can you send a check to this Bob? Yada, yada, yada. That's Are correct. there those kinds of custodians in HSA um, as well? In general, you're not going to find too many custodians that let you do whatever you want. Okay. Um, a solo 401k has the ability where you can be your own administrator and yeah. then you don't have to worry about somebody else in your business. Um, the HSA though does require a custodian just like an IRA would. So we have those same exact concerns that we would have in a self-directed IRA. We have those in an HSA as well. Gotcha. Um, so the, one of the, um, the key factors in uh, utilizing uh, tax advantage accounts to invest in real estate uh, is that that you have to be that using debt or leverage can be a tricky factor. Is that That's also correct. the same factor in HSA? It is the same factor. Um, we actually call mm -hmm. that unrelated debt financed income, um, UDFI for short, which creates a tax um, that's called UBIT, um, unrelated business taxable income. And that can be a very expensive situation, depending on how you are investing. Um, ultimately, you are looking at the trust rates for that income. So if you're over that $1,000 of basic income, you're going to be looking at a very quickly increasing tax bill. Um, so if you made $100,000 that was debt financed, whatever portion of that was debt finance is what you're going to pay tax on. So I'll give you an example. Um, I decide that I want to buy a rental property inside of that um, HSA. I have $50,000. I find somebody willing to lend me the other 50,000 and I pay the hundred thousand for that building. 50% of that building was debt finance. I am going to be liable for tax on 50% of that income. So if my net profit at the end of the year was say $7,000, I'm going to pay tax on 3,500 of them. Gotcha. I still get and depreciation. I still get those normal deductions. It's just yep. that prorated percentage at the end of the day. Gotcha. Um, and you, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, so if you were to, let's say, I've heard a great example of a guy who used his HSA in this way in that he didn't do debt financing. What he did was a joint venture with someone else in their, with their retirement funds. Yes. And so it was, they, they basically split the cost, you know, cause you, most people are probably not going to have a hundred thousand dollars in your uh, HSA. If you do good for you. Um, and so if you want to buy a hundred thousand uh, dollar rental property, you know, and you, let's say you've got $50,000, you need to find another $50,000. Now you can debt finance it and deal with UBIT, or you could, um, go in a joint venture with someone and say, okay, we're going to, you're going to, we're going to come in together. We're going to invest this way and, and split the equity and the cash flow. Correct. And that will depend on the type of deal that you're investing into. 
So let's say you invest into a multifamily rental deal in, in that situation. UBIT will be a concern in that HSA. Um, okay. So I, I do have to watch out for what percentage is debt finance. Um, okay. If it's just a joint rental venture, then I don't have to worry about tax if we're paying cash. Yeah. Um, if we are hard money lending, interest income is not subject to um, unrelated business tax. So I don't have to worry about that. And that's actually a common use is hard money lending. Um, I have some clients that are doing some um, hard money loans for tiny homes. Hmm. So for families that are looking to move off the grid and they're financing them, a lien on the trailer, et cetera, and, and going from there. It's actually a really hmm. interesting business model. Oh, it's interesting. The The guy, I heard a guy interviewed and I loved this strategy um, of, of using uh, the joint venture uh, to buy a rental property because he actually bought it in such a way that, um, you know, let's say just for round numbers, they bought it for a hundred thousand dollars, split it. Um, it's a hundred percent, you know, it's free. It's quote unquote free and clear. So there's no debt on it. Um, it's all cash flow minus the, Expected. you know, man expenses and management and it cash flowed roughly $6,000 a year for him. Well, guess what his deductible is for his high deductible health plan? $6,000 a year. And so to me, it's a really brilliant strategy of basically finding an asset that can basically, you know, it's, it's an appreciated asset, but also the cash flow it puts off pays for the, um, the high deductible right. plan. Now keep in mind there, you can incur medical expenses that your insurance might not cover. So mm -hmm. that's where that additional gap and additional funding in that HSA can be very useful. Um, but I'm actually going to point out and, and start talking about something that I said I was going to come back to. Um, okay. The uses of HSA funds. So while I'm younger than 65, if I pull money out of that HSA for anything other than medical expenses, I'm going to incur a 20% penalty plus income tax on that money. However, if I wait until I'm age 65 and I start drawing from that, I'm only going to pay income tax. There's not going to be a penalty. So I can actually utilize my HSA as a second retirement account. Gotcha. Uh, no, and that's a, it's uh, in the fire community. A lot of people, um, the financial independence retire early. Um, it's one of the first funds that people recommend investing in. Like as soon as like, even before, like first I would say, you know, if you've got a 401k match, invest in the 401k match because it's free money. Uh, and then uh, I would say the next thing you should invest in is an HSA. I completely uh, if, agree. The number one common unexpected bill is going to be medical. Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, the key ways that people who are looking to retire early use it is they will allow, they will basically fund it and invest that money. And then they don't actually, they will save the receipts for those qualified medical expenses um, and bank them. And as long as you don't lose them, Correct. my understanding, and you can tell me it depends, um, uh, is that eventually, you know, let's say 10 years down the road, you've got $40,000 worth of medical expenses receipts. You can then at the end of the year, you can pull that money out tax-free and and hand it, hand those receipts over to the IRS and say that's my money. Is that correct? That is technically correct. Uh, okay, I, I've seen a lot of conflicting opinions on that. Um, okay, I have not seen any case law directly on it. So okay. it's one of those. I hate to say um, deductible until audited, 
but we just don't have the case law against it. So yes, you can reimburse yourself. Um, I typically don't recommend that strategy, but it's not one that's been disproven yet. Um, gotcha. I, I fear that our money-grabbing government might get to that point and yeah. say, no, that wasn't the intention of the law. And that's yeah. where my ultimate concern is. Okay, gotcha. And the benefit of that, if you do it that way, is that you're essentially letting that money continue to grow uh, and the, compound. That is one of the big benefits. Than, I have a lot of clients that will just pay out of pocket for the medical expenses and be done because they want to make yeah. it like a second retirement account. But here's the reason why I have that concern for that strategy. The concern is, let's say I incurred a medical expense in 2019, and I just keep keep that banked and I don't want to reimburse myself from my HSA. Fast forward down the line 10 years from now and I'm audited by the IRS when I finally do take the money out, guess what's going to happen? What? I'm going to have to prove that I didn't pull money out of my account back in 2019. So fast forward, we've hit 10 years, I will have to show them my tax return. I will have to provide that information. So that may not be in my best interest to do so. Gotcha. Okay. So so proceed cautiously. Yes. If this is a strategy that you're yes. going to employ. It hasn't okay. been disproven yet, but there's risks. Gotcha. risks. Gotcha. Um, so what are some other ways that you have seen uh, uh, people creatively use HSAs? Syndications, hard money lending, um, I have seen rental property. I have seen investing into regular businesses. Um, I saw somebody purchase part of a laundromat with one. Um, that, of course, runs into that UBIT issue, but the key is it's tax-free funds uh, minus the percentage that's you know business-related. So yes, they know they're going to pay some tax on that, but they're already in the top tax bracket personally. So those estate rates are, uh, as much as they make them cringe, it's the same thing that they were paying anyway. Um, It's just another source of cash. But you can invest it into target date funds, you can lend it to other individuals, Um, not in your linear family, I would avoid that altogether. Um, So brother, sister, those are fine, but mom, dad, child, those are out of the question. Okay. Um, now, when you invest in a syndication, uh, you're probably in the in the syndication used any kind of debt financing. You're going to incur UBIT, correct? That portion, yes. And keep in mind, okay. if we're showing a profit, that's a bigger concern. But depending on the exact numbers, it might be showing a loss for a while. And that yeah, loss I mean, we can also carry forward to future years. Okay. And most most syndications that I know, if they're worth their weight, are typically you know, you're getting a K one that shows a loss anyway. So, um, so, okay. <laughs> knock on, knock on. Yes. Uh, and, uh, the, um, with a solo 401k, one of the really great benefits of a solo 401k is that you can actually take out a loan, uh, to yourself against it. Is that possible with an HSA? That is not directly possible with an HSA. Okay. Uh, the gotcha. reason is the HSA is formed more along the IRA rules than it is the sole 401k rules. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and you, uh, is there, there are rules about you can make withdrawals at 59 and a half. Is that correct? Um, 65. It's 65. 65 for an HSA. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and then are there any other, um, 
things that you can use it for that are not, you know, like, is it something where you could say, Hey, you know, I want to use it to buy a house now, a, a, pr- a primary residence. Technically, no. It, it ultimately runs directly on medical expenses and medical expenses. Okay. So you do have that additional okay. restriction. Um, but if you plan it appropriately for the year in which your medical expenses are higher, it's not going to hit your income at all. Gotcha. All right. Well, Stephen, is there anything else that we have not covered in regards to HSA? I know there's, we could probably talk for hours about it, but is there, uh, is there anything we haven't covered that you think we should? Um, I think we've covered the basics. Um, there's always the possibility of additional questions, but that's going to be very, very facts and circumstances. So very, it depends. If there's further questions, don't hesitate to ask. I'm more than happy to give some guidance. Um, okay. We could definitely talk about solo 401ks for days. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any, any questions that you might have, just let me know, but I think we covered the, the basics. Okay. Well, we'll bring you back on uh, for another time to cover the soulful, soulful Always have to. other accounts. So Stephen, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, if any of our listeners want to learn more about you, what would be the best way that they could uh, reach out to you? Well, there's two primary ways that I recommend people reach out to me. Um, the first one is I'm highly active on bigger pockets, which is a large real estate investors forum. Um, the other way is actually directly on my website, hamiltontax.net. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being part of our show again. Thanks again, Stephen. Always a pleasure. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.